When my daughter graduated from a little classical Christian school, she began, first of all, by talking about what family worship had meant to her. But she never got more than a couple of sentences into it before she broke down and began to cry. In the thousands of nights that led up to that, almost every time I walked away thinking, was that a total waste of time? And that's the way I think most couples and families feel with family worship. Welcome to the Crossway Podcast, a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with Don Whitney. Don serves as Professor of Biblical Spirituality and Associate Dean at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's also the author of several books, including Praying the Bible and Family Worship with Crossway. Today, Don and I discuss how to help your family not lose sight of God and the gospel during the holidays. Don explains why it's worth it to prioritize family worship with your loved ones, whether or not you have kids, shares practical steps for actually doing it even when the kids are little and won't sit still, and offers practical advice and encouragement for single moms or women whose husbands aren't Christians. Let's get started. Well, Don, thank you so much for joining us today on the Crossway Podcast. Glad to be with you, Matt. So Thanksgiving is now officially behind us, and the Christmas season is here in full swing. And I think many of us recognize that this season is a great opportunity to refocus our hearts and our minds on what God has done for us in Christ uh, on this this amazing event 2,000 years ago when God took on human flesh. What, what are some of the traditions that you have developed in your family over the years aimed at helping you focus on the real reason for the season? Nothing that I think would be new or exceptional uh, for your listeners. I mean, uh, we have the same stresses and busy schedule, uh, extremely busy, uh, once a year kind of stuff at the end of the year that your listeners would have. So uh, I don't know. I guess I might disappoint you there in one sense. It's it's pretty ordinary. I mean, we we do try to have, have family devotions uh, using resources that focus on the birth of Jesus uh, during at least part of the month. Um, you know, we we read the Christmas story from uh, Luke two on Christmas morning. We uh, have uh, you know biblically related. Uh, Christmas uh, decorations, a manger scene, and so forth around the house, and, and you know, explain them uh, on repeated uh, occasions to the grandchildren, and to our daughter when she was young. And so, um, man, I feel pretty uh, ordinary as far as that goes, and you, you probably could get better success uh, with, with someone uh, who has spent a lot more time in writing uh, on this than I have. Hmm. Yeah, I sometimes think that maybe we especially in kind of special times of year like the Christmas season, we can sometimes feel a little bit of pressure to, I don't know, do something more significant or more extravagant almost, uh, a bigger bigger kind of vision for what it could look like. But it sounds like you're kind of saying you guys have just sort of done the simple, basic stuff, and uh, that's kind of been your, your model. Yeah, Matt, I, I mean, I think for that time of year when – you know, these once a year uh, office parties, uh, class parties, school parties. I mean, n- a number of things that happen just just once a year. You add those into your schedule. 
I, I think it's a, it's a big victory for us, at least, if we do one thing uh, that's uh, focused in the right way at that time of year, one thing beyond the ordinary, because we're fighting to keep our heads above water, by and large, just with regular life. Uh, and so the intentionality to say, hey, we're going to try to do one thing that's really going to uh, make sure Christ is at the center of this, I think that would be uh, a victory for most people. I know it is for us. Mm. Yeah, it is interesting how sometimes we <laughs> we have these grand intentions, and we maybe do try to do too much, when really we'd have more success if we just made it simpler than that. Yeah, I mean, a target of it, we're going to do at least one thing. Um, and you can always add to that. But, uh, you know, it, it's like a Bible reading plan at the beginning of the year, which, which I practice and I endorse, if you have a Bible reading plan that's so unrealistic uh, for most people that never give you a day off, well, you get sick, the kids get sick, things happen, you get a day or two behind and you just throw the whole thing out the window because you say it's impossible, I'll never get caught up. So I advocate Bible reading plans that have a little bit of flex in them, you know, a little bit of extra days, a day or two in the month. Same with Christmas. Uh, If you can accomplish one significant thing that's out of the ordinary and then build on top of that if you have time. I, that's the best plan for us. I mean, uh, kudos to the family who can rearrange your whole schedule and devote uh, several things every day for the entire month uh, to prepare for the celebration of the birth of Jesus. That's terrific, and I'm sure there are families out there that do that, but this is not a time in life for us when that seems to be possible, and so uh, one small victory is is progress. Hmm. So, what would you say? What would you suggest then that if, if there's a family listening right now and they would like to do something different this holiday season and not just sort of be carried away by the busyness and by the sometimes even stress of the season and want to do that one thing? What would be one practical suggestion for what that could be? I'd suggest that it be to begin family worship if they haven't done that, because that's a practice not only that can benefit uh, this holiday season, but for the rest of their lives, something that they they can continue. So uh, by that, I mean just the intentionality of reading the Bible, praying together, and if possible, you know, singing. This is a great time of year. Even the younger kids know the Christmas carols. So to, to read a section of the Bible, pray together, and sing a Christmas, uh, uh, Christmas carol, that would be a terrific way to start, and then that, that momentum could easily carry on into the rest of the next year and the rest of their lives. And I would suggest that people not lock themselves into just those evenings when they can do it maybe before bedtime. That may be the ideal time most of the time. But as I've already noted, we're, we're all so busy. I mean, in our family, we have to have family worship sometimes in, in, the, in the van, you know, on the way to an event. <laughs> maybe, you, maybe you have it at, at noon that day uh, because of things going on in the evening. And, uh, you know, the flexibility uh, is something that needs to be emphasized. But uh, if people would just spend uh, 10 minutes, roughly, no preparation, just break out the Bible, pick up where you finished reading last night, read a section of the Bible, pray together, sing together, something that's, again, less than 10 minutes, that would be a huge victory and momentum would be started that could carry on over into the next year and the rest of their lives. Hmm. I think one of the things that probably many of us feel in our own hearts, and if we have kids, 
it's also a very acute feeling is that, as we've already discussed, the Christmas season can be so stressful, so busy, and uh, for kids in particular, it can be so easy. Well, actually, if we're being honest, probably for all of us, it can be so easy to get focused on the material things that just surround us. It's such a materialistic holiday in our culture in so many ways. Uh, so thinking specifically about that issue, um, have you f- what have you found are some effective ways to sort of combat that and keep our hearts you know, more aware of the, the great spiritual blessing that Christmas is actually all about? Uh, one might be set a budget uh, <laughs> so that you don't get too focused on just more and more and more and more, but you have, you have limits and discuss you know, these things in advance. We're going to spend this much on this person and this much on this person. Uh, of course, that, that's, that's an external thing, but nevertheless, I've found that it can help. Also, to make sure to prioritize the church events that are going on because they're designed to be uh, aimed at you know, a spiritual uh, emphasis. And so uh, don't neglect those. For some, they find that a specific service project at that time of the year uh, that, that's unusual helps them to prioritize serving others and, and meeting spiritual needs and, and physical needs and not being into uh, just uh, materialistic things and especially receiving but also uh, for giving to others. And without some sort of self-accountability, Matt, and I'm speaking personally here, it, it's hard for me to do those things that I just suggested. It seems to be the swirl of activities that just gets bigger and, and, and bigger, you know, like a, like a hurricane. And so if I have something like in a journal, some sort of to-do list, something where I keep before me the reminder uh, and put it on a calendar to plan something in advance, be intentional. Maybe right after hearing this podcast would be a time to do that, that before the hurricane hits and before the unexpected, the unanticipated parties and gatherings and responsibilities, uh, you know, and the forgotten Christmas presents that we have to go get before all those things uh, come uh, you know, crashing in on our lives to have the intentionality to say, I want to do this, and I'm going to plan to do it on this day so that it doesn't get forgotten, overlooked, or just crowded out. Hmm. Hmm. So then taking a step back a little bit to the idea of family worship more generally, uh, you've kind of hit on this already, but I think many of us, and I can speak for myself on this, uh, we might feel unsure at times about what that should actually look like, what, what it could actually be like in our family, especially if we've never really attempted it before, or maybe we've tried to do some kind of regular family worship in the past, and it just hasn't gone over well with, with somebody, whether a spouse or a child, or maybe it's just sort of fizzled out after a, a few days. Um, in your experience, what is the biggest mistake that Christian couples and families make when it comes to how they think about or even attempt family worship? I think pretty much every family feels like a failure when it comes to family worship. Either they failed in, in being consistent, or they failed in the quality of it, or they failed in the fruitfulness of it. Um, I mean, it's uh, e- even worse in a personal devotion life. I, I don't know that many people who feel like they're really nailing it in their personal devotion life. They they think, I guess just something's wrong with me. It should be more exhilarating than this on a more consistent basis. Well, that's, that's even multiplied uh, when it comes to family worship. Uh, it's very simple. 
It's got to be if we're going to be consistent with it. And I would argue that those three elements are just three syllables. Read, pray, sing. Read the Bible, regardless of how much or how little we're talking about. That's the heart of it. You read the Bible. You pray together, and that might be just the husband or father praying. It might be uh, him uh, designating someone else to pray. It could be everybody could pray. Uh, you know, there's a, many, many ways that prayer could be a part of this. And um, you read, you pray, and then I would advocate, I think I can defend biblically the idea of singing. And that can be as simple as the doxology, as the first verse of a hymn, uh, just a chorus that you know. Um, but singing together and the whole taking 10 minutes or less on average. You can always extend the time if some people have questions, if you have something you really want to share. And I would remind the listeners, too, that we're talking about no preparation. Some people get the idea that you have to prepare some sort of devotional for family worship. And they say, number one, I don't have the time to do that. Number two, if I did, I wouldn't know how to do that. Matt, I've never prepared. Sometimes there are things I've read somewhere I want to share with the family. We, we often use a devotional book like Spurgeon's Morning and Evening or, or uh, the, the, uh, the annotated Psalter that Crossway puts out, that's a, the devotional Psalter that's a great resource for this. Uh, but I just read the Bible, pray, we sing, no preparation, maybe 10 minutes, maybe even less if you have very, very small children. And um, th- that's it. So I-, I don't know if you want to follow up with that before we go to expectations, but the practice is very, very simple. I think maybe uh, one thing that could be going through someone's mind is just that th- that does sound simple. It sounds... Um in some ways, low, low prep, like you've said. Um, but what kind of different has that difference has that made in your family's life? You've been doing this for a long time. Speak to the profound benefits of something that seems so simple on its face. When my daughter graduated from a little classical Christian school where she went to high school, the tradition they enjoy there is the graduates uh, well, the parents give the diploma to their child who's graduating and say a few words of encouragement. And, and the graduate says some words of thanks to the parents and so forth. And, well, my daughter had thanked my wife very profusely. And then she turned to me and uh, she began, first of all, by talking about what family worship had meant to her. But she never got more than a couple of sentences into it before she broke down and began to cry. And I know what she was going to say because these were prepared remarks and she gave them, gave me a copy and gave me permission to use them. But Matt, when I say that she began to cry, I mean she wept harder than I'd seen her since a preschooler. She fell on my shoulder and someone took a picture of it. And it's my favorite picture of us together. And it's in the back of the book. Uh, but she was sobbing on my shoulder, just trying to explain what family worship had meant to her. Now, Matt, before anyone gets a wrong impression, in the thousands of nights that led up to that photograph, not one time, not one time, would I have walked away from family worship saying, oh, the Spirit of God came in great power on our home tonight. You know, <laughs> uh, His presence was atmospheric in our home. No, that never once happened. Almost every time I walked away thinking, was that a total waste of time? Did, did anything good come out of that? Why are we doing this? 
I felt that way nearly every night. And that's the way I think most couples and families feel with family worship. There's very little perceived value. There's very little observed fruit in the moment. Because families are going to do what families do in the family room, whether you're watching television or you're having family worship. Three-year-old's going to roll around on the floor. Uh, when you're trying to be very serious, there's going to be a burst of uncontrollable laughter. Uh, the family pet is going to come in and barf on the carpet. Uh, you know, real life is going to happen right in the middle of family worship. And then when you're done, they, you know, explode away from, from the scene. And you think, did that accomplish anything? But Matt, the Bible says that we're growing oaks of righteousness. And you don't grow an oak by an occasional spectacular exposure to the elements. You grow an oak by a, a consistent exposure to the right elements and changes occur imperceptibly over long periods of time. But that's how an oak is grown. And in the same way in family worship, you rarely see any kind of measurable progress, but the Word does its work. You, you expose your family consistently to the right elements that glorify Christ and magnify the gospel, and the Word of God does its work. Now, that's no guarantee all your children will be converted and turn out well. But this is, these are the elements God is pleased to use when he wants to transform a life and bring someone to himself. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder if uh, something that many of us struggle with is, and we probably would never say it explicitly, but maybe almost a, a, a pressure that we have to do the work in our kids or in our spouse that we're responsible to sort of create this change, the spiritual growth that maybe we're aiming for. And it sounds like you're kind of pushing back against that and just saying, let's let's put ourselves in the path of God's Word and God's grace, and He's going to do the work. Exactly. I mean, what parent doesn't feel like a failure? Uh, what parent doesn't feel like, e even when they're trying to teach their children to say thank you, how many hundreds, thousands of times do you have to say to them, say thank you, say thank you, say thank you, and you think, are they ever going to get it? And then someday at church, you know, one of the greeters hands them a piece of candy and they look up and say, thank you. And you go, it took, <laughs> it took, they finally got it. But it, it, the night before, it would have looked like they haven't made a bit of progress. But finally, the penny falls, you know, and, and, but until that point, you say, I, I'm a failure. I cannot get them to remember to say thank you. So every parent feels like a failure, and that's going to be multiplied when it comes to, to spiritual things. They're going to feel ill-equipped. They're going to feel like a failure in their own right, spiritually, by and large, and much less equipped to bring up children uh, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. But we trust the Lord to do His work through His his means of grace, and in the home, they're the Word of God. Hmm. What could family worship look like for the couple that doesn't have kids, for whatever reason that might be? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, because the, the stereotype of family worship is a couple with two or three small children in the home. And indeed, that, that is something, it's right to think about that. That, that needs to be uh, an emphasis at that point in life. 
But there are a couple of passages in the New Testament that refer to husbands and not fathers. Uh, Husbands, love your wives, for example. And then a few verses later, it's going to say, fathers, don't exasperate uh, your children. And over in 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. And uh, it goes on there talking about it, because if you don't, it says your prayers will not be answered. And the prayers there, I didn't know until a few years ago, are referring to mutual prayers. Peter assumed that Christian couples pray together. And so he's saying, if you don't treat your wife right, when you guys pray together, God's God's not going to hear. And so my point there is, while some passages speaking about spiritual life in the home refer to fathers, at least a couple of them refer to husbands, and therefore family worship is for couples, whether they have children in the home or not. And that means newlyweds. That means couples who don't yet have children. That means empty nesters. That means as long as the couple is together, family worship uh, should be a part of that. So, you know, it's awkward if you're just now beginning family worship and uh, it's just the two of you, and especially you try to sing and uh, one or both of you doesn't feel like you can sing very well. <laughs> I, you know, we, we may do that. It's kind of awkward. We made the transition to uh, being empty nesters, and it's very different to have family worship in that scenario. But, um, you know, no, there's no situation that millions of Christian couples haven't faced and conquered uh, over the years. And um, uh, we, we all want to say, well, my situation is unique. I work days, I work nights, my wife works days. Uh, we have wide range of age among the kids. We have so many kids, or we have no kids. Everybody thinks, well, our situation is unique. We can't do this. Well, where there's a will, there's a way. And throughout history, Christian couples have successfully navigated every scenario anyone can imagine. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, kind of on that front, um, I think it can be easy for us to have this ideal picture of what family worship looks like in our minds. Uh, but it is just that. It's this ideal and the reality of our lives is often quite different, and it often feels more challenging than that. So one example, uh, Scripture, as you've alluded to, paints this picture of men leading their families spiritually. And yet there's likely some women listening right now who would love to see their husbands lead their family in that way, but they either aren't Christians, their husbands, or for whatever reason, they're not willing to lead in the way that Scripture would seem to prescribe or maybe they're single moms and they, they don't they aren't married. Uh, what advice would you offer to women in that situation? In the case where the the mom is the one who is a Christian and or she is the one who is more spiritually mature, I found that the many men, even those who are unconverted, are very happy to at least participate in family worship, at least read the Bible to the family. They only had to be asked. And so I would encourage, uh, you know, the, the Christian moms to, in the right spirit, you know, to, to ask if, uh, you know, if they would join in family worship, they would read the Bible in family worship. And the mom can say, I'll, you know, I'll take care of, of, of the rest. And, you know, a lot, of, a lot of men, whether they're Christian or not, feel the need for the family to get together more. And if the wife, if the rest of the family comes up with a solution, to this problem. He's often very happy uh, to go along. Now, there are some cases in which the men won't participate under any circumstances. And in that situation, the mom should uh, initiate and lead family worship. 
being very careful to do so in a way that doesn't turn the children against their father or cause any uh, resentment there. And uh, the same is true with uh, where there is no husband in the home, that uh, it, it, the responsibility falls to the mom to bring the children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That I would encourage uh, those moms to make them like a, a Lois and Eunice, uh, the mother and grandmother of Timothy, who were credited with transmitting uh, the knowledge of the scriptures to Timothy, who became a great hero in the faith. Hmm. What about families with really young children? You've kind of mentioned that as a common scenario for us. I know that's that's my situation, three young kids at home. What does it look like to do family worship when the kids will hardly sit still for more than two minutes? Yeah, well, you, you emphasize discipline and patience, and you proceed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the discipline is say, look, sit here by mom, you know, sit here on this rug or whatever. And, and the patience is you proceed with family worship when, when they don't. And I understand that's most of the time. We have a three-year-old grandson uh, who's often in our home. And we have family worship when he's here. And, you know, for him to be still for two seconds is almost impossible. So, uh, but, but that's, that's the way it is. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. We understand that's the way they are. But first of all, let, let me talk about, uh, like, my granddaughter, who's, who's a year old. Well, if we just start family worship in her presence, that, that's a year too late. Uh, it, it's, we need to be doing that from the beginning so that their earliest impressions uh, visually are of a family worship. So let's say you have a 15-month-old who doesn't even know what you're saying in family worship. If we could put their thoughts into adult language, it might look something like this. You know, I don't know what this is we do here every night. Dad, granddad reads from this, you know, this leather-bound book, and, and uh, then, they, then they close their eyes and bow their heads and talk. I have no idea what they're doing there. And uh, they sing. I like that part. I have no idea what it is we do here every night, but it must be really important because we do it every night. So they're learning that. Even if they don't know what you're saying, they learn, they're learning that family worship is important in this family. This is a part of who we are. And you realize you've reached a threshold when maybe some night they're three years old. And you think, eh, we're not going to do family worship tonight. I think everyone's too tired, which usually means I'm too tired. And so you just don't say anything about it. Things go on. You're getting ready for bed, and your three-year-old runs up with a Bible and says, Daddy, Bible? And you realize they didn't forget. Well, even though this arrow of conviction comes into your heart, that's a great victory, Matt, because you've established the routine that your children realize this is who we are. This is what we do. Now, they don't understand the motivation yet, but nevertheless, they have realized this is a part of the fabric of this family. So you've, you've succeeded. You've taught them that this is a priority. This family centers itself around God and His Word, and they're beginning to pick up on that. So that's why you proceed, even when you know they're not understanding what you're saying, because they're still learning. And the, the younger they are, the more you're going to think of a very short period of time. You're going to use narrative passages of the Bible. You're going to want to use a children's resources. And then as they get older, you set a goal of reading the whole New Testament, eventually the whole Bible. But you meet them where they are in terms of understanding. So you start with those narratives of the Bible and, and uh, get some helps. Hmm. So what would you say then to the person listening right now 
uh, whether they're a parent or not, who, who knows that he or she hasn't done a great job consistently prioritizing family worship. And maybe their kids are, you know, five or six or 15, or maybe they've been married for a number of years now, and this has not been a priority for them. And, and here's what you're saying right now, and just feels discouraged, just feels like, man, I am already so far behind. I haven't um, made this into something that kind of centers our family and that everyone is expecting, and, and they just kind of feel like, I, I, what could I do now? It's too late. What would you say to them? Proverbs says, the righteous man falls seven times and rises again. And so this is the pattern of the Christian life. We fall, we repent, we get up, we start over. And so uh, that's a very common scenario. And the difficulty is that first step, especially for a man, because to say to the family what you just said is an open admission that somehow I have failed, I have been wrong. And that's that's the hardest thing for a man to ever own up to. But, uh, you know, he says, but he says, look, I've just come to the place of realizing that this is what we need to be doing as a family. I know I failed before, but I want to try to do the right thing. Will you help me? And especially, I think uh, uh, the spouse will be thrilled to hear that. The children may not be so much if they're older, uh, but nevertheless, um, this is the way forward, and we do what we can. There may be consequences in terms of the, the, the children accepting that or not, but we move forward. And let's take another step, Matt. Let's talk about the empty nester who says, you know, here I am at, at 55. I'm 60 years old. Where was this, you know, when my children are young? What can I do now that I, you know, totally blown it? No. First of all, just between husband and wife. You start where you are now. And second, you're a parent all your life. You're an example all your life. And so when you're able to say to your adult children, you know what? I've just learned about family worship, and this is what mom and I do together every night. I should have been doing this when you guys were at home, but I didn't know about it then. I failed then. Please forgive me. But I want you to know we've started now, and this is what you ought to be doing in your home with our grandchildren, and we're going to do this when our grandchildren are in our home. And so you're still an example. You're, you're an example to your adult children saying, uh, we still learn the things of God. We, we haven't outgrown learning from the Bible. We are still an example of repentance uh, and what that looks like. And so we're still an example to you. Uh, and uh, so you, you pick up where you are and you move forward, even though there may have been uh, years uh, that were, were, uh, were where there were failure. But the Lord is able to restore, you know, what the locusts have eaten. The years the locusts have eaten, the Bible says. Hmm. Yeah, that's such an encouraging encouraging reminder that God God can use us and will use our faithful obedience uh, even when it comes late. Um, so what would be then three practical next steps for someone listening to us right now who wants to get started with family worship today and not miss the opportunity to see their family grow spiritually, especially as we enter into this holiday Christmas season? Uh, what would be some three practical next steps? Three. Okay. Well, I've already said long ago, and then we've unpacked it, you know, begin 
family worship. Just whenever you can do it during the day, the more consistent the time, the better. But just say, read, pray, sing. Maybe if it's less than 10 minutes, no preparation. Uh, start, start there. And in your own devotional life, which I, I again, most people feel like failure is there, but but some uh, something that you do there that that feeds these things. Maybe you use a journal that where you just write down. Maybe it's just your regular to-do list. You say tonight, you put it on the list, you put it on the calendar. Tonight, eight o'clock, whatever, family worship. Well, Don, thank you so much for taking some time to. Uh, share from your own experiences and your own wisdom related to leading your family in worship on a regular basis, especially in the holiday seasons. Matt, it's always good to talk uh, with you. It's an honor to be on the podcast. Thanks a lot. That was Don Whitney on how to help your family not lose sight of the gospel during the holidays. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, Family Worship, available online or at your local Christian bookstore. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review, which helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.